Scano, Sego, Ani, you're listening to the Red Road Podcast with Courtney Sky and Hayden King. Traffic on the Gardener tonight. Crash causing a nine minute delay. Nine minutes. Leaving the city. Yes. Yes. I've decided not to start this podcast with that. Hello, Courtney. You Hello, just, Hayden. You said it's just our signature. <laughs> I right? know it's the way you said uh, it. It's so artificial. So. I okay, know. What, this is this is our this is the process for our podcast. Uh, get in the car, meet up, get in the car. You want to do a podcast? Yeah, sure. Let's do a podcast. What do you want to talk about? Um, I don't know. Uh, some <laughs> recent politics? Sure, let's do it. Uh, got the recorder? Yeah, I'll set it up. Okay, let's start. Hello, Courtney. <laughs> Hello, Hayden. Yeah. What uh, it was? This is the legacy uh, of when we pretended at the beginning, the first episode of this podcast. This, what we do now, is totally completely not nearly as edited uh, as our first two episodes. But it's kind of like a little legacy. It's a little People, legacy, yeah. I mean, there's like their own little critique thing. I think <laughs> when we started this podcast, we thought that we would be a little bit more gimmicky. Like I remember. The first episode, you like open the door and close the door and like yes. throw in sound effects. And I was going to do like weather reports and traffic reports yes. as we were driving on the red road. You the have traf- done them. Well, you, you have done them. It's you do them. And then we never, you always want to edit them out. And there's some of the most hilarious things. There's so many good, like funny things that you do that you make us edit out of this podcast. Oh, I'm going to God. do like a super cut of them. Uh, and like of all of the like weather reports you've done and all the traffic like, reports and all the singing, oh, it's going to be so good. Stormy on the red road today. <laughs> We've got an emergent high pressure system between the Mohawks and the Haudenosaunee. The Mohawks are Haudenosaunee. The fucking the, stalled on the red road here. I can't figure out how to revitalize my culture. <laughs> Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, so anyway, we're in traffic. Yeah. uh, Yeah. So our podcast is a little bit, I don't know what's, what's Mm -hmm. going on with our podcast. We're sort of all, we're all over the place. We're commuting less. Our listeners are mad. Mm -hmm. Uh, people are just not expecting our pod. No (laughs) one's giving us any attention anymore. No. Social media's died out. We're still here. We're still commuting, but, uh, less less frequently, I guess. I was away. It's true. I was, I was gone for seven days hunting. I Mm -hmm. was sitting on the, this is how I hunt. I take a rifle and I go out into the fucking woods and i sit on the ground for 60 hours and i just sit there and i wait and i wait mm-hmm. so it is a deeply restorative process for me i have to say i it's some it's deer hunting in particular is the thing that i look forward to the most all year and um yeah i come back like just completely rejuvenated um so anyway yeah i went mm-hmm. deer hunting wonderful trip brought home some deer and um and uh yeah so that's one of the reasons i guess we haven't commuted for a while true 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 mm-hmm. yep you're gone for a bit i had an election to lose oh yes Ooh. oh sad oh. yeah it's been a while i guess since we had uh yeah no it's been a while since we talked about it. so since we since we lasted a podcast you lost an election i did i did lose an election you want to talk about that um like existentially <laughs> how does losing feel <laughs> Um, I will say that, like, I did not expect to win. I had, like, a, I could not imagine a future where I was, like, possibly an elected chief. I think that anyone who's listened to this podcast 
recognizes like how difficult of a decision that was for me but also like how my politics are just not aligned with like elected bank council systems etc and so I just couldn't imagine like what would this possibly be like what would it what would this mean for my life and yeah I did not did not win did win yeah I also did really bad like I did <laughs> like I did a really solid campaign like which is the thing that like I'm I am proud of the job that I did I think I like represented myself well and my beliefs and I articulated those beliefs to the community. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can't think of a time where like many outwardly pro-queer and, you know, willing to talk about anti-blackness in First Nations community, willing to talk about like the urban, uh, you know, urban off-reserve off member like dichotomy. Like, I don't think there are many elected Ben council chiefs that get elected on that kind of platform no, and no, no. So, and yeah. violence as well you know yeah and uh, ending violence is you know i uh, when you decided to run i was obviously mm -hmm. you know scared for you <laughs> my most vocal and, critic <laughs> uh, and we recorded a podcast with you know some of my concerns mm -hmm. yeah. uh but you know you had mm -hmm. what seemed like a strong team you mm -hmm. had a great social media game mm -hmm. Uh, you went in the, mm -hmm. the debate and, and, and gave a strong performance at the debate and, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. it just didn't, Crushed it just didn't materialize. Mm -hmm. You know, the, I think you did really well in the mm -hmm. debate, but it was, I think for mm -hmm. me, interesting because I know Courtney and mm -hmm. we have podcast Courtney and I know mm -hmm. your political views. It was definitely like a more diplomatic mm -hmm. Courtney at the debate. Yeah. Like you pulled, you, you, mm -hmm. you did pull some punches. You, yeah. Like you held back a little I bit. I did. And I and I think that was clear and I was like, no, just go cuz cuz to Six Nations credit, they live stream the debate so you could watch it. But Yeah. My favorite part of the debate was like I forgot to turn off my phone. Like I forgot to turn <laughs> yes, off the vibrate on my phone. Let me let me tell us. <laughs> I forgot to turn off the vibrate phone and I had it with me because I like just had all my stuff with me cuz like the just the logistics of the place. I had my coat and my like stuff sticking on the back of my back of my chair, and I could like hear my phone going off just incessantly. And I was like, "Do I have um, something in my teeth? Is there something going on? Like someone's trying to hold me." I open up my phone, and it's just a wave of messages from you, like being like, "Doing a good job. You're doing great. You're doing that." And I like said something back, like one word, and you're like, "Stop messaging me." <laughs> Well, like, why are you messaging me during the debate? I felt like I ignored my phone. <laughs> some of my, you know, other friends that are doing like public things, I'll like live, I'll like live text the, I'll live text the event or the interview while they're speaking on a panel or, or doing something. And then they'll get the messages afterwards and we'll like have a conversation about that or, or, or whatever. So I just figured I'd do the same to you. I'd like live text my reaction to the debate. Like what the hell is Mark saying here? And, yeah. Is Cynthia gone? Like, does she have sixteen fucking dogs? <laughs> that was like one of the best. Does she like there? The Six Nations. I don't think you're allowed to have more than four dogs no. in any like. No, there's definitely a, a limit on how many dogs you. Have. For context, there was like one of the questions that we got during the debate was like question about res dogs and i don't remember like what the question exactly was but i think i answered it really well like it was just kind of like a kooky question yeah, and it I was answered good. It, like, yeah, a kooky yeah, way. Yeah, yeah but i like got a you know i got a laugh break kind some of thing energy, got yeah. some energy like people really liked the answer thought my answer was funny and like answered it with like program questions and then the other female candidate for chief who's like, an older woman 
tries to like do the same thing and get a little yes. laugh and then tells everyone she has 16 dogs. I think she incriminated herself. Yeah. I couldn't believe that it was real. I know. And she just used all her time talking about how she had 16 dogs. And you kind of see how she like didn't re didn't realize what she was saying as she was saying it and then try to like backpedal and like legitimize the fact that she has 16 dogs. And then talked about how hard it is to get into like the spay and neuter programs and the res. Yeah. And then like on the live streams, they like Facebook lived it. People were like, no wonder it's so hard to get into the program. She's taking off the sponsors or all her real, dogs. Man. Cynthia is now blacklisted <laughs> from the spay and neuter clinic. Yeah, but we have a really great dog catcher. Shout out to all the res dogs and yeah. all the dog catchers yeah. trying to keep a wraps on all the res dogs. Now, the heartbreaking <laughs> thing about this is that Cynthia, the crazy res dog lady, got more votes than you did. Yeah. So how do you explain, like, <laughs> you know, I... your level of sophistication that I think you brought yeah. to the conversation and the really, you know, provocative, mm -hmm. but provocative for res politics, but yeah. important discussions. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't get the kind of traction that yeah. they should have. Yeah, I think that, like, there's this um, idea of, like, what I tried to capitalize on is that there are there is a lot of divisiveness going on in our community. There's obviously like this legacy of the conflict between like hereditary and elected bank council and what does that mean for our community? How does that play out? And I really tried to sway first time voters to vote for me. And so I didn't spend a lot of time like I didn't do like the usual circuit that like people would do that are trying to like cultivate votes in that you know, I didn't go to all of the churches and do like a Sunday church kind of brunch kind of thing. I didn't do um, any of those kinds of initiatives. I didn't go, you know, I didn't go to like the church association and things like that. So like, I really tried to engage people that I felt were like, like myself, who are like quite moderate or are at a point of frustration with like this dichotomy that exists in our community and was trying to have a conversation in our community about, you know, we have to start doing things differently. And I think that the pressure of like myself running, but also another like quite radical um, guy in our community, the two of us together um, pulled about 500 votes and there was about a 500 vote increase from the last election. So I think that there was like new voters or like people, you know, that hadn't voted before. But I think the like potential for um, us to pull in the majority of the community, which is like a, vo a voting population that could easily sway the outcome of the election. I think that put a pressure on people who are invested in the status quo to come out and vote. And I think that people are who are very invested in the um, elected bank council system as a power structure where they gain and uh, consolidate power. I think those people who have no problem with voting in bank council elections, they um, they made sure they voted. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that I know who maybe considered voting for the first time and really thought about voting for the first time but ultimately chose not to, I think that they, um, that they just didn't vote. And I'm not trying to like blame like non-voters. I don't think that's, you know, that's not anything that I believe in. I, and I really try to have conversations in, with people in community and say things like, you know, if you haven't considered voting before and you are, like, let's talk. 
um, here's how you vote, give people information about mobilizing their ideas, but ultimately told everyone that, you know, if you don't vote, like, I'm not going to try and persuade you to vote. I really wanted people to, like, consider for themselves and do and make the choice they were most comfortable with. And I think that's a very strong kind of position to come at this issue from. And I'm, I wouldn't have changed the way I approached it, but ultimately it didn't translate into like a, a large number of votes. Um, so how do you, so you, you say you didn't really, you didn't anticipate winning. You didn't, you know, expect to win. You wanted to get into it and, and have some dialogue, raise some issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you lost mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. did despite going into it with, you know, the, an expectation that you weren't going to win, it, did it still, yeah. was it still like, how did you deal with the aftermath? I that? guess I, I didn't expect to win cause I knew like, as soon as I was elected and I decided to run, I it really crystallized nominated for, it, or nominated, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) I'm never going to get that right. But as soon as I was, like, nominated and decided to run, I realized, too, like, oh, I don't know anyone that votes. You know, the pool of people that I have in my life, like my extended family, they don't vote. I can't leverage, you know, my huge family and expect them to vote because, you know, I know that not a lot of them vote. And I will say that, like, of my immediate family, I have three brothers. One of them didn't vote for me. You know, it's a very personal decision that people have and they make it for like very specific reasons and ultimately I knew that I had to like I have to maintain these relationships with people regardless of whether I want or not will I say like I definitely wanted to win I wasn't running and asking people to vote for me unprepared to take on the responsibilities should it have happened I really took the time to like understand what that meant and um, but yeah, I just, there was something about the entire feeling that I had that it just didn't feel, I didn't have this confidence about it that I normally do. And I guess it's because like, I don't know, I've done things like run in student council elections and things like that. And I've like never won any of those either. Like, huh. so I'm not really, I'm used to that kind of like disappointment. I will say that I did cry pretty ugly afterwards. <laughs> like it was not, um, it was, I did have that kind of like grief or like release of the stress because obviously like you invest a lot of time in something sure, and sure. it doesn't turn out like that's very disappointing like I was very um, upset that way um, so, I'm like gonna start crying don't again, get right us now, but like what happened too was that like I ran on this platform of like trying to like be true to my values represent myself and my family well and then like as I was leaving the like very close friends of the person who did win were like mocking me as I left, hmm. which was like incredibly classless. And yes. we're like using a lot of like the language that a lot of people like me use around social justice to like try and humiliate me as I was leaving. Hmm. And these are people that I've known my entire life. And it was really heartbreaking to like see people like try to be mean for like no reason at all. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, we talk so much about, uh, like, we do think we do politics differently in Indigenous communities, but uh, often it's not the case at all. Yeah. And there's and some ugliness that can accompany those kinds of elections. And I, and I guess, you know, Six Nations in particular, it's like has this mm-hmm. under 10% voter turnout. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. So maybe that adds another layer mm -hmm. of... Yeah. There was about, there was just over 2,000 people that voted. Okay, okay. Which is about 10%. Uh, but what's really interesting about the vote is that there were about 350 spoiled ballots. Huh. Which was 17% of the voter turnout. It wow. was... Um, in comparison, the federal election had 0.7% spoiled ballots, but these are people who are able to cast ballot, cast ballots and have their vote count for counselors, but their vote for chief didn't count. Whoa, weird. So there are people who like chose to turn out to vote for the election, but chose not to cast a vote for chief, which is a, a weird phenomenon that I think should be looked at. Hmm by a person who is not our chief electoral polling officer. And I will say that like, if you follow any of like the Six Nations media, we have two newspapers and one of them is doing a lot of reporting on some appeals that have been lobbied against our election results. So there's still kind of like this ongoing- a, a dead guy issues. voted. Yeah, yeah. A dead guy voted. Yeah, well a guy voted using his like dead mother's information. Huh. Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. So there's some discrepancies going Yeah, on. there are some discrepancies. There are things that happen during the play out of the election where, like, people in our community are, are raising concerns about the role of the chief electoral polling officer and and the fact that he's an employee of the person who wins. Uh, so the person who won, his uncle, is the employer of the chief electoral polling officer. Right, right, right. So this is the kind of thing that becomes, like, inescapable, yeah. too, and, like, yeah. small indigenous communities or you know indigenous communities where everyone is related yeah. everyone knows each other and it's like okay you we all grew up together we all know each other but everyone's related and when power consolidates in a few families oh, yeah. this is what ends up happening right it's like sign this conflict of interest declaration yeah. it's like if i sign this conflict of interest declaration i'm claiming declaring a conflict before mm -hmm. every fucking meeting because yes yeah were all related and, and I mean it's one of the clear reasons why ban politics ban council politics doesn't work with you know small indigenous communities and of course Six Nations is huge but it's still like a collection of families yeah. uh, and that's so different than settler um, communities even small municipalities like the family groups are so much smaller than in our communities where we maintain those kinship ties. And so that's like something politically that we have going for us, but then we try to sandwich it into these completely artificial and uh, really hostile electoral systems that just are not compatible. And it results in, as you say, like power being consolidated in really just the largest family, um, which is something that happens in Anishinaabe communities as well. And is maybe even exacerbated or, or seen more clearly because we still practice the clan system, but via voting so whereas at one time every clan would have a vote now it's just like the biggest clan has all the votes um well that's you know really unfortunate to hear and uh i didn't mean don't cry like yeah. don't cry if you want to cry about it cry about it it's totally cool yeah it's not i as i said to you then it was a very brave thing that you did um it took a lot of guts and uh tried to make some some positive change and uh and, you know, maybe that'll translate, I don't know, being optimistic, maybe that'll translate into the new chief and council, <laughs> Chief Mark Hill, uh, and uh, his council maybe taking up some of your calls. But uh, yeah, we'll I see think, about that. Yes, and I think that it has 
a little bit. I think that some of the ideas I was trying to push have kind of made it onto the agenda of the current council. But there was a real movement, I think, for change in the community. I think there was a lot of community members who talked about, you know, not being happy with the past council, questioning, you know, right now our the past the last election elected council put in an injunction against community members and that was very unpopular and so that raised a lot of political tension in the community um and ultimately i think seven of the last 12 counselors were all re-elected so it's um there are nine counselors now and there were only two new counselors and basically everyone was like re-voted in which is like very disappointing because there were a lot of very strong candidates for counselor as well that did not get in and that's very disappointing um we have a huge issue in our community with Nestle taking water out of our community and us not having any control over um, their permit system. And one of the people that ran for counselor is like a water biologist, like a very strong technical person, and they didn't get in, which I think I'm more disappointed that he's not on council than like myself not being on council. Uh, so yeah, it's really, it's disheartening. Disheartening. So there's all these structural mm -hmm. challenges that we're mm -hmm. sort of discussing. Um, mm -hmm. Now, if anybody decided, we just had a federal election, mm -hmm. which maybe we should talk about. We have more and more indigenous people running in uh, settler politics. But if anyone is listening to the podcast and any like young native women or queer mm -hmm. or young native men, um, or two-spirit individuals or anyone go going and running for their council uh, or as chief, you know, is there anything that you would say to them before embarking on that type of journey? It is incredibly expensive. Huh. That is the biggest barrier that I had to participating in the election. And I think that our, we know, we talked about it a little bit, like, you know, the way that people win elections in my community are different than other people's communities because our community is so big. You know, there's an expectation in my community that you would do lawn signs, that people buy billboards, that people host dinners, and that they do, um, you know, mail outs and all of that stuff costs hundreds of hundreds of dollars. I did a, a very bare bones campaign in the sense that I did a mail, I did one mail out, I did lawn signs, I did um, um, Facebook advertising, I did um, some community events, and I hosted some uh, events and did meals and served food there, and I spent $3,500. It's not cheap. It's not cheap. Which does, that's, it's not cheap. And it's like a definitely impactful for me as someone who like didn't budget or plan to spend that money. Like, you know, for me as being like uh, an unemployed student, <laughs> that's a lot of money. And thankfully I had probably about 80% of my campaign costs donated to me. And then a significant more like in-kind contributions. I had a very beautiful video made on Facebook for me to promote me and who I am. And that was very well done. And that got, you know, 4,000 views, which is like media. So, so like, that's a very real concern around yes. safety. Okay. That like, let's yeah. uh, Eric just yeah. cut this part about fire out of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, for real. Okay. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, mm -hmm. this, um, uh, yeah, I don't, 
I, I don't <laughs> really like. Decide? I don't know how to wrap this <laughs> yeah. conversation. We're up, gonna but. like cut this out, but I should tell you. So I have a scanner from when I was a firefighter, and I hear like the emergency calls. And so during the election one night, I was like sitting in my house. I heard the scanner go off. Someone had set someone's car on fire in their driveway, and the fire department got there, put the fire out, saved the house, and then three hours later. Someone came back, kicked the door in of that person's house, threw gas in it, and then lit it on fire. Holy shit. So when I didn't win, it was kind of like, okay, I don't have That's to worry kind of a about relief. this. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So, um, so one of the good things that has happened with election <laughs> is that I think more people than ever in my community know who I am, know what my values are, know what I'm about. And so there have been kind of like other opportunities that have come up as well. And so I think that like the ability to create change as always is not limited to elected officials or like even the typical kind of approaches to creating change that people are often told about. There are many different ways that people can create change. All of those things are valid. And if you're not comfortable, you know, I don't think young people should feel that like being elected to council and being indoctrinated in these systems, you know, um, getting a PhD, like all of these things are not prescriptive around your ability to create the kind of change that you want to see in your communities. And I think that it should especially be clear that like young people do not have to limit themselves to um, like limiting themselves on the idea that like the they should limit their aspirations for themselves and their dreams to healing their communities. I think that there are a lot of different ways that people can contribute to the overall well-being of indigenous people. That's not becoming a lawyer. It's not becoming a doctor. It's not becoming a nurse. You know, people have a lot of other interests and abilities and skills and talents and doing those things in itself, I think is good. You know, we can talk about like, you know, indigenous kids wanting to be astronauts and wanting to be musicians and wanting to, um, you know, aspire to all these things, you know, be dancers and to be choreographers and, and, you know, maybe do comic arts and that kind of stuff, you know, all of those things are good too. And so our aspirations cannot just be limited to, you know, uh, being counselors. No, of course not. Kind of There's many ways to lead. Mm-hmm. I learned that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And I was just having a conversation actually uh, today, this afternoon with a student who was just like completely frustrated about you know, the erasure of um, indigeneity in, in, you know, places that she has to live and work and her anger just boils over. And then when she expresses that anger to other people in her community and other Native people that maybe are not from her community, there's a lot of pushback. And, and um, you know, sometimes this type of politics, it's, it's, it's not, for, not for everyone. It's one, ty- it's one type of leadership. It's one way to contribute to your community but there are so many other mm-hmm. other ways and you mm-hmm. you you listed a, a long uh, list of them <laughs> um, yeah and so those are those are avenues for people that do want to make change you know it does, it's not all about the band council system it's not not all about what we might consider official leadership and uh, that is important yeah one of the uh, people that I had in my life when I was actually enrolled in university the first time, I used to always get frustrated and like the university I was in was like incredibly discriminatory and it was very difficult to go and like half the indigenous studies courses were taught by a white guy and it was just not good and I was constantly frustrated 
and I used to go into like the indigenous advisor's office and be like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit F school. I do not like it here. I'm going to quit and I'm just going to beat for the rest of my life. And he would always say like, you could do that. He's like, you're a beautiful artist and you would bring a lot of people a lot of joy if you did that. And if you did beat for the rest of your life, he's like, that's a totally valid thing to do. And people would love your art. And that like validating, I think of like that idea of like your, your, your value is more than your anger. Your value is more than your like righteous indignation, but like joy and indigenous joy is also good. And like being happy has merit. Yes. But Mm -hmm. indigenous anger is good too. Yeah. And in fact, like that's what I would, that's, (laughs) that's what I was talking to the student about like how do I deal with my anger and you know for me um, Mm -hmm. I've made the conscious decision not to get into ban politics Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess that's sort of been later in my life but when I was younger I just had all of this anger you know I just had you can't not be angry Mm -hmm. and if you can find those outlets (laughs) whether it's writing whether it's art maybe beadwork can come from a place of anger I don't know Mm -hmm. My uh, angry tweets. Uh, angry tweets, maybe to a lesser extent. But I mean, if you want to vent on Twitter and and that's your well of righteous anger, then, then that helps. Mm-hmm. And fine, fine. Yeah. But, uh, you know, writing, making mm-hmm. art, um, organizing, teaching, like the, you know, mm-hmm. anger can, can really be uh, productive mm-hmm. and yeah. um, generative. In, in, in a lot of ways okay. too and that are outside of politics yeah so what is a thing that you've done where you've been like incredibly angry and how have you like channeled your anger into something that you are proud of i guess like my very first you know when i when i think about this and i talk to students in particular about this i guess i cite like the first op-ed that i ever wrote mm-hmm. and i and i don't know if i told this story on the podcast or no, not but not. but um you know, I was a 26-year-old, 25, 26-year-old um, working in the government of Ontario. And my job at the time was to read all the news clippings every day. So every day, you know, you have some low-level research analyst compile all the news clippings. And then you send it up to the minister to say, oh, uh, this author or this newspaper is talking shit about the ministry or, you know, indigenous policy, whatever. So I would read all these news clippings and I would just get so angry. Like I'd have, I'd read about this op-ed writer talking about how reserves need to be shut down, and I'd, and I'd read about this op-ed writer who said that First Nation poverty was their own fault, and I'd read about this op-ed writer that was talking about, you know, um, alcoholism or violence, and, and I would just get so angry, and and I guess you know I had done a master's degree, I I was writing a lot that wasn't getting published anywhere, I was just writing for myself, and I just decided that I was going to take all this anger and respond to all these asshole op-ed writers that I would see in the newspaper clippings every morning at my job. So that's what I started to do. I just started to write responses to them and that's how I would like release my anger. And then one of them, I just decided, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put a rebuttal to that op-ed that I read in the Toronto Sun. And remember, I was young at the time today, I wouldn't even dream of engaging with the Toronto Sun, but at the time, um, I made up a, a pen name, a fake name, because I couldn't use my real name when I was a research analyst in the government of Ontario. So I came up with a fake game, fake name. I wrote a response to this really bad article out of anger, submitted it, and it got published. And, I, and then it felt really good. It felt really good because 
I felt like I was making an impact. I felt like I was responding to this, you know, racist bullshit, this erasure, uh, this paternalism. And I felt like other people were going to read that. Other Native people were going to read that. Other Canadians were going to read that. And it just wasn't going to go unchallenged. And I felt really good for that, good about that. And, and that was, I think, the first time where I understood that anger could be productive. I mean, I didn't see any material change from it. I mean, I hope that some young person read this article I wrote in the Toronto Sun and felt like, you know, something positive. Um, so I guess that's like, the example that I think of and then for me it just started this whole process for 10 years I just I just wrote op I wrote dozens of op-eds for Globe and Mail and Journal Star and National Post and eventually I stopped using the pen name when I left the government used my own name and and that's probably the main avenue through which I have you know tried to use my anger productively um, and then of course I started teaching and you know you you uh uh, making a podcast. Making a podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'm in like late stage <laughs> anger now. I, when you have kids, your <laughs> things start to change, and maybe I'll write about that one day. But uh, I'm still angry. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. so yeah, I guess that's what mm-hmm. it would. What that's what it was for me, mm-hmm. and I'm actually looking forward to getting mm-hmm. back to that place. I I don't want this podcast to be too much about. <laughs> you know, I mean, I guess you reflected on your personal life, but yeah. uh, I am definitely missing that I have been doing administration for so long running Yellowhead and and um, you know doing university indigenous education stuff that I have really lost touch with that outlet for me and it's probably a reason why I I feel that in my personal life that that anger no longer has an outlet but it's it's being it's shifting and changing and, and it's manifest in different different emotions and, and perspectives and I think that there's a layer of grief that has sort of settled over me over the last couple of years and uh, I think I'm closer to understanding the source of that and, uh, and, and who knows if I can get back to, to writing out my uh, writing out my anger then maybe it'll be helpful can't wait to read your upcoming book <laughs> That's the problem. I don't have an upcoming book. I got to write one. Yeah, I got to write one. I got to write one. I'll, okay. It's a good. It's motivation. I'm gonna write my book. Yeah. Write a book. Yeah. 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 So that's where we're at. Yeah. Uh, apparently, it could be both an of us in very the ref- value of the Mohawks in your yes, life. Not a fucking chance. In fact, <laughs> in fact, I am embarking on a piece challenging the recent revisionist history of the Dish With One Spoon, so. Oh, you should have a fight with that with a certain academic at UT. I believe I'm gonna have a fight with many academics. Um, so yes, I feel I feel guilty for perpetuating what I'm increasingly seeing as a myth around what the Dish With One Spoon was between the Haudenosaunee and the Dishnapak. And so I think I'm doing a little bit more reflecting on what that treaty really means. And, so I do plan to write about that. And it's not going to be praising yeah. Mohawks, I got to say. Um, are you saying the Mohawks that, that Pan-Indianism harms us all? Pan-Indianism. Pan-Indianism. Is that what you're saying? Pan-Indianism. Pan-Indianism is a topic for another podcast. My favorite part of the like, recent thing that you shared was that like Mohawks like tricked you guys and then you guys tried to do the same trick back to us and we didn't fall for it. <laughs> Which is what, like the a dishes really... one <laughs> No, the, the thing about cannibalism. 
What, what are you talking about? That should be your next piece. You should do a chronology of like, we didn't eat people. did people actually eat people? Oh, oh my shit. You, yeah. We just uncovered this document. My cousin just under, un- uncovered this document about uh, <laughs> the history of the community <laughs> I come from, Bosley Island, or uh, Bosley First Nation, rather. Uh, and it was it's a not story. It's not interesting. Story from it's this old, old elder, this Listen, long lost tale. I was on Twitter recently. About how Mohawks and... <laughs> used to live on our island and we showed up and they're eating each other. They're like, here, have some fucking human foot. And we were like, you people are, get out, get out of this island. So that's, I was that's on basically Twitter what and people were saying that we never even used to eat each other. So I don't know what you're talking you about. You guys acknowledge it. There was like one guy. <laughs> My favorite one, one was. Guy. My favorite one you was. You ate Brebuff, which my, I give you credit for, actually. My favorite one is when you asked Rick, like, when did Hidden and Shining People stop <laughs> eating people? I have a screenshot somewhere. I don't even know why I needed to know that. I was teaching a class. Like, wasn't a great law around the great law? When did you guys stop eating each other? And Rick Montour responds, like, who said we stopped? Uh, yeah. So it will not be a love letter to the Mohawks written by Hayden O'Shoney. No, 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 it will not. Yeah. Uh, might lose me from some friends, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I didn't so, think you had any friends. I just thought you had colleagues. <laughs> I just have colleagues and acquaintances. Yeah, colleagues and acquaintances. Um, yeah, so um, I don't know where to go from here. We're, we're approaching the Skyway. We're so close. We're yeah, approaching we're the so Skyway. Close. I think we had plans to... In our uh, 30-second conversation before we started this podcast, we were going to talk about the TV shows that we're watching. We were going to talk about the federal election. Oh, so uh, many things. Talk we were going to talk about the road. Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, provincial legislation in BC. We're going to have to commit again. We're going to talk about the C9. <laughs> oh, what was it? Oh, the Human Rights Tribunal is like once yeah. again hearing from Canada to quash okay. the ruling on uh, mm-hmm. discrimination against uh, Native children in, in, mm-hmm. in courts. We're going to talk about all kinds of things. And then we got sort of deep, yeah. deep for us. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. how, many minutes, how many minutes are on this podcast here? Oh, uh, well, we have to cut off like 10 minutes of 40, it. 40 minutes. Yeah, we got to <laughs> go uh, as far as that. Okay. Yeah, so if you're listening to this, we had to cut out some <laughs> dicey things from this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that will be, what did you say you were going to compile? Mm-hmm. You're gonna, you said you were going to compile a, a podcast of... Oh, a list of all of the things that you cut out were like right, all the cutting, you were okay, funny okay, 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 or okay, like okay. entertaining. Okay. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I'm never those things ordinarily. No, you uh, know, you like Hayden King being funny. That's not doesn't happen. Come on. There's no. There's like there's been so many times where you have like done like a very funny impression, or like the one time when you like sang a song in the car and then you're like cut that out don't put it in there and I was uh, gonna put it in anyway but you're like no All don't right. do it so when we compile our mm-hmm. list of, of edits our cuts <laughs> then maybe we'll include the bits we decided to cut out of this episode and <laughs> post that one many many months in the future and our Patreon that we've never yeah, right our Patreon <laughs> we don't make any money for this podcast no I this is completely voluntary you, you bought batteries why are we doing today? this I did I spent which was like the, the first batteries. time you've ever spent money on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I paid to ride in the car. That's true. Yeah. Mm. Well, okay. All right. Well, it's been fun and uh, we should commute more often and record more podcasts. Yeah. Get back on the red road. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's a beautiful night in uh, 
Marcus Hamilton. That's it for us. See you next time on The Red Road. You've been listening to The Red Road Podcast, created by Courtney Sky and Hayden King, sounding audio editing by Humble Man Recording. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. I've been driving in my Indian car to the pound of the wheels drumming in my brain. My dash is dusty.